0: Thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work For You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcomed by Christy Darty, who is the CEO of Emergence Health Network in El Paso, Texas. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. The most amazing thing that we learned in our pre-interview is just how incredible the transformation has been since you have taken over Emergence Health Network in the last 10 years. You were telling us that when you started out, you had cash reserves of about $300,000 and now you have more than $20 million. And the key to all of this is your strategic plan, which allows you to empower your employees and allows them to then further serve the people in the community. So can you just tell us a little bit about that journey, How you, where you started when you first took this role and how you started this journey of transformation?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I think one, I have an amazing executive team. I have an amazing group of employees that work with me every day. So I'm the lucky one that gets to steer the ship and they do amazing work. So I need to say that, but I think really where we started was, you know, one of the things is, is, the organization, um, it was just, it was very reactive. And when I took over, it was always, we were just, the organization would react to, to whatever was thrown at them at that, that moment. And the, the, or, the, excuse me, the staff, was very reactive, And so we had to take a step back and say, okay, we don't need to be reactive. There are times, absolutely, you have to react to things, but we need to look at what is our mission, what is our vision, what is our purpose, and let's be, let's be proactive, let's be strategic on how we're going to approach things. So I can tell you the first couple of years was really finance, let's get ourselves financially healthy, because if we can't make payroll, we can't do what we do. And so we really focused on our revenue cycle, we focused on, you know, Simple things like pre authorization, utilization management, um, denials, collections, things like that. And so we got better at that. I brought in some really solid folks on that. And then um, we then we moved into the next phase of you know looking at our us as as a whole. What what do we want to do in in the community as far as services? So we looked at our core services, and then from there, you know, we we got. Felt like we got pretty good at our core services because we do have requirements by the state that that dictates some of those things. And then we moved on as like, okay, let's let's unfold that. What what can we do to fill some gaps in the community? We worked with uh, different partners. We have a foundation here in town that does a lot of work in the healthcare space, and said, okay, where's some so where are some holes? And we really found there were holes in the criminal justice space and law enforcement partners. And so we looked at that because, you know, we have individuals with mental illness that are, are constantly being arrested. It's sad that, you know, having a mental illness is the only illness that you go to jail for when you don't take your medication. So we looked at those, those things. And so our strategic plan was, is, is a, a, like I said, a living, breathing document that is constantly addressing what are the needs, internal needs and external needs.
2: That's so fabulous, Christy. I think, uh, you know, when we were talking again in the pre-interview, we were talking about how so many people develop a strategic plan. Uh, We've all gone through that process, but then we don't really wind up using it. We mostly uh, refer to it occasionally or just have it up on the shelf. And I just find it fascinating that you've made it into a living breathing document. So I would love to sort of tease out a little bit more of what allows it to be living and breathing in terms of your commitment, commitment of your executive team, commitment of the board, uh, any tools that you use, you know, I think our audience will really learn a lot you know through this through this process in terms of how you've made it into such a vital tool for your organization.
1: It's well, one of the things is it's a three-year plan. We do three years at a time, which we thought was digestible. And then in that three-year plan, we break it out, you know, year one, two, three. And so as we develop a, a, a year at a time, Um, I have my set goals, which is typically the center goals is what, what are we doing as an organization? And then those cascade out to my executives and each executive is doing things to support those center goals. And then those cascade out to their divisions. Uh, so we make sure every, if we can, every project, everything we're, we're making every, every decision we're making somehow ties to a strategic goal. Uh, We report those. We have a stoplight report that is reviewed monthly by myself, and then it goes out to my board committees. So we have different committee structure, human resources. We have a planning and development committee. So that then is, um, those goals and objectives are then reported out and discussed in our board committee structure. So the board is engaged. And then on a quarterly basis, the whole plan is reviewed by the board through that stoplight report. Um, So it's a constant discussion. Um, I can tell you our board Agenda items are tied to the strategic plan. How does this board agenda item support something in the strategic plan? You know, we really work to make sure that it's falling within one of the goals and objectives. Uh, we make sure that that plan is discussed with staff. It's part of um, it's part of uh, staff meetings. and It's part of whatever people are doing. They know where in the strategic plan this decision this change this project how it ties back to that strategic goal for that year because what that does is it makes it tangible so the work they're doing means something because they can see this is where we started and this is how it's we can show complete it's done we did it and it really then you can celebrate the success of the year that we we completed all the
0: strategic goals for that year It seems to me when, in my head, when I'm thinking of your plan, there's three separate components here. There's one that's the actual business. We have to keep the doors open to be able to provide these services. Two, we need the people to be happy so that we can keep giving that, uh, providing services. And then three, we need our clients to be happy so that they can come here and, you know, we can keep this ecosystem going. So whenever you're creating that strategic plan, and I'm assuming you're thinking of those things and probably many more, how do you prioritize? Are they in categories? Is it, you know, is one more heavily weighted than the other? How do you walk that line?
1: Well, we do have different areas. For instance, we'll have um, a service expansion area or a... um, uh, uh, client experience area. So we do have different areas of the strategic plan, and they're weighted based on what that year is going to focus on. Uh, we have a fiscal area. We have a governance area. We actually, our board has an area of the strategic plan, so they are committed to b- a board training, board development, or whatever they need to do to ensure the organization continues to grow. So they're they are weighted. Um, and they are weighted based on what the, the lift is for that year. So um, we do look at different areas. Uh, service, service expansion may be a big one this year where we're looking at what areas do we need to look at growing? And then there's areas like this area is not really doing well. We might need to shrink that area, especially right now when you're looking at workforce issues is you don't want to keep, you know, uh, keep a service that's not performing or that's not outcomes are financially performing you might want to shrink that down and you can move those resources somewhere else we're constantly looking at that and something we're we're going to be I'm really excited about that we're working on right now for our next plan is we're actually doing a service line portfolio to where we're going to be looking at a quadrant style portfolio to say you know this this corner of the quadrant is something we do really well and it and it does well financially so it's high volume high high you know high benefit You know, and then you go across the quadrant and then down in the other corner is, you know, this may be a little risky, but let's see if we want to invest in it. So we're going to be looking at all of our services and putting them in a portfolio because then I can take that to my board and say, you know what, we need to close this service line. And this is why. It's not just we're going to stop serving these people, but there's a very good business and strategic explanation as to why a service needs to expand or contract
2: one thing i was wondering as you as you're developing this is again I, i'm i'm really impressed with uh, the vibrancy of the strategic plan um we were talking a, a little while ago about how that plan actually helped you during the pandemic because you were prepared but is there a risk that having such a plan already well articulated maybe somehow uh Prevents you from reacting to what's changing within the environment, or are there any examples that you have along that line, in terms of how you use the plan to not only be your your day to day operating manual, but also how does it help you uh, be agile? You know, when the needs change within the community.
1: Well, I don't think the plan is rigid. I don't think that I think the overarching initiatives are very uh, um, they're global enough to where we can move beneath them how we need to uh, as far as what's what's currently happening as you know um I I don't know if you know, but in um, August 3rd, 2019, we had a mass shooting here in El Paso where we had 23 individuals killed in a Walmart. And so we were actually able to use pieces of our plan, you know, our strategic plan that were already in place to help respond to our community. So it's able to expand, contract, move with what's happening in our environment, whether it's immediate or a long-term need. And so um, with regards to the pandemic, we were uh, our pre- previous plan had a very, very robust IT investment infrastructure in with regards to equipment, um, bandwidth, uh, server upgrade, all EHR investment. All of that was done prior to the pandemic. Which, when that hit, we were prepared. We had the equipment. We weren't standing in line trying to get laptops because we had them. We weren't trying to scramble to become um, virtual as far as an electronic health record or telehealth provider because we had all of that in place. Uh, we we had to fast track a few things, you know. I think everybody did, but we were we were prepared and our staff were prepared. They were trained and they were. They were as comfortable as they could have been with the technology. I know we had to do a little, like I said, we had to kind of push the pedal to the metal on a few things, but um, because of the previous plan being so IT focused, we were, um, we were ready. And you know, again, you don't know what you don't know, but we were very uh, grateful that the board and our IT leadership had that vision.
0: What would you tell people who are at other health systems or mental health networks that may think that they can't do this, that they can't this have this kind of transformation? You're in El Paso where you said the poverty rate is extremely high. You said that you had $300,000 in the bank at this point when you took on this role. And now again, you have more than 20 million. So you have done this with these resources. So what is that secret that you have, aside from the strategic plan, which is obviously a huge component, but it seems like you're really amazing at being able to tap into what both the community needs, the considerations of the employees working for you. There's something there that's allowing you to do more with less that other people can learn from. So what are those things?
1: Well, I appreciate that because that is one of my, the ways I do things is I always approach a situation as not with what we can't is what we can. And, you know, we're, we are about a $60 million organization. Like I said, we, we, when I first took over, we were about a 30 million, we've doubled in the 10 years. We we've really become more financially stable, but I always approach a situation with, this is what we can do with what we have, you know? And then when we're looking for partners, I always say, this is what we have. This, you know, what do you have? And wow, what can we do together? And so I think, you know, it's really about your approach. You know, I think as an industry, behavioral health, we tend to always start the conversation off with, we don't have enough resources. And we have to stop that because that's all systems. I think every healthcare system, every we we don't have enough resources. And I I, I think, okay. I'm not going to ever start a conversation off that way. I've always started the conversation off with, "This is what emergence can do with what emergence has right now," and if anybody wants to contribute to the project and and be part of it, we will be happy to to put our you know put our uh, our, our 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 resources together and do it together. If not, we're going to do do the the small portion that we can. The other thing is is you have to. I built a team. I have an amazing executive team. They are uh, rock stars in, in their fields and what they do. You have to surround yourself with people that you trust and you have to let them do their job. I am not a micromanager unless, and if I have to be, that's really an unfortunate situation. Of course you do sometimes, but I think you have to surround yourself With individuals that that um, you you trust, I think that's a big thing, and you have to let them do what they do. And then what we were big on is allowing individuals based on their role to make decisions. When I first took over this organization, people were afraid to do anything because there were you know they're going to get in trouble. Nobody gets in trouble. We want to make decisions, and then people have to be afraid to fail. I mean, not not they have to be uh, not afraid to fail. I'm sorry, they have to be um, comfortable. Making a, a decision that doesn't work, and then you 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 process that and you work through it. The thing is, is my my philosophy is you just don't let's just not make that same mistake again. And so I think we've come a long way in that in that sense where our teams are um, they, we trust we're, we've got loyalty, but we also have folks in positions that know that if they make a mistake, they can say, "Hey, I messed up, And we work through it with them.
2: Christy, I just find what you said so profound and unbelievable that you just start with that mindset of what can we do and what what do we have? So first of all, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh I, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking in terms of my final question is is that uh, This is such an incredible leadership journey and transformation journey that you've gone on and you've taken your organization on. Uh, And it takes a lot of change uh, to to bring that about uh, change of personnel, change of processes, uh, change of organizational psychology. So, is there a point along the way when you first started seeing that this was happening? Were there some years at the outset where? It was really a struggle and you weren't sure you would get there and you kind of had to just, so I'd just like to maybe get a little bit more texture into how some of the early years went and when it became apparent that this this, uh, a plan that you've developed, you know, was actually working.
1: Yes. And I mean, just going back, I, I do know that at the beginning, there were a lot of doubters. There were a lot of folks that worked here that were like, you know what, I've been through three CEOs and I'm going to outlast you, you know? And so you had the, the negativity that that um, it permeated this organization. And so The beginning was challenging because there was a lot of um, what I call weeding. We had to do some weeding of the garden, you know, and we did. We had people that changed with us, though. That was really great. So I think once we were able to um, get past the financial piece, because I think that's hard for people because all you're you're only about the bottom line. You're only about the bottom line. Well, We had to be about the bottom line to make sure the lights turned on. And so once we got past that, and that was about two or three years in, And we were able to focus on other things like buildings and facilities and making sure they had nice furniture and they had, you know, we were able to paint walls and and make sure the landscaping looked nice. You know, those things are important to people. They want to take pride in where they work. I think once we got to that point, I really saw the staff becoming more invested in the organization and feeling proud about where they work versus, you know, the before was, it was really, we were just fighting the bottom line for, for the first couple of years. Cause you got to get there. You got to have the resources to invest. And so I think probably about three years in we started seeing that, that culture, culture shift, but it, it was, it's still happening we're still, but it's, it's not nearly the the challenge and the struggle it was, you know, seven years
0: ago. You're definitely making it sound like a climb, you know, getting up that mountain to make this transformation. So through all of that, through that tough work, what is it that kept you going? Is there something that just propelled you saying, I know I can do this. I see the vision for the future. Or is there a, a deep personal connection that drove you to do this? Like, I can't quit. This has to happen. What is it that has led you to this incredible transformation?
1: Well, I, I'm going to answer that question in two ways. One, again, my amazing team, their loyalty to me and our commitment to the community. We, we just, we have I, have, I I keep saying that over and over again. And I've had other executives say, you have the most amazing executive team and we are just a unit. We're a unit and we just drive forward. And so, I mean, I think they're, they're um, just their faces, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to get through this, but I also, I'm going to say it from just the small town girl from New Mexico. You know, I grew up in New, a small town in New Mexico. Um, and then I got into this field and I, I had a couple people tell me I couldn't. You can't, you won't, you know. And I think that in, in my own back of my head pushes me. Uh, but I also know that we save lives Uh, We may not be emergency room nurses, we may not be operating doctors, you know, in the operating room, we're not putting, we're not doing stitches, but I know every decision we make affects someone's life, and I know we've saved many lives, and
0: I just, that's what keeps me going every day. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this conversation. It was really just inspirational to hear your story. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it.
2: Unbelievable, Christy. Thank you. Really inspiring to me as well.
0: Thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.